Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, Paul Gasol, Laker legends. Laker players with 15-plus points in the fourth quarter of a playoff game since 1997. That's the list. And now we can add Lonnie Walker the fourth. How is L.A. up three games to one against the defending world champs? Because they're getting production from guys like Lonnie Walker the fourth. And last night they win 104 to 101. And now they hold a commanding three games to one lead over the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors. Who would have thought that the Lakers would be in this position early in the season or even after the Christmas break? Yet, the old man and his band of misfit toys are one win away from the Western Conference Finals. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III. Of course, we are broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Just a reminder that EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm joined, of course, as always, by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlo. Bud, did you have on your bingo card Lonnie Walker IV going off for the Lakers in a playoff victory over the defending champs. It was it was the free space. That was the one that's just kind of on there. <laughs> um, no, but I tell you, I had a friend who was super high on Lonnie Walker uh, coming out of the draft, and, I mean, I guess he's having a good morning, probably, he's, wherever he is. He's probably having a I'll very good morning, him. Yeah, as is Lonnie. <laughs> yeah, probably, the, probably Lonnie first and then him second. That was probably the order of that. By the way, how many years ago was, since Lonnie came out? Of college? Like three, maybe? Three, right? Something like that. He had never scored more than 12 points in a playoff game in his career. He had 15 in the fourth quarter last night. 15. All 15 of his points, by the way, were in the fourth quarter. Anthony Davis was not dominant. It continues that that trend, right, Dawson, of dominant, average, dominant, average. 23 and 15 last night for the big fella. He did have three steals. LeBron James led the Lakers with 27 points. But once again, and they got 21 from Reeves. But this is a thing that on paper you go, huh? LA is not a great three point shooting team. 
right? We've talked about this. They were 6 of 25 last night from three-point range. Anthony Davis has only 23 points. LeBron is held under 30, and they go 6 to 25 for 24% from three-point range against the defending champs. And they still win the game. Golden State put up 41 three-point shots and only made 12. Now, I watched a little bit of this game. Obviously, late-night West Coast game, not optimal for morning shows. In this series, is it LA's just playing better defense or is it just simply Golden State's just not making their shots? I can't really get a handle because they were 12 of 41. They shot worse from three-point range than the Lakers did. Yeah, I always struggle with that exact, you know, even it's just tough to see because at times, you know, you know, grading closeouts, I'm, I'm not sitting there with a notepad kind of grading every closeout, Correct. right? But, you know, at times you can just feel, you can feel if, the, if, if it's consistent open looks and I think you get a feel for that. With Golden State, it's just... At this point in what they are, it's kind of they have to win a certain way. And it's not that the Lakers are this super malleable team that can win. There's your word of the day. Um, but it's not that they're this Ooh, super malleable out. team that can oh, say it again. Yes. That can, you know, transform who they are night to night. They really can't, but I think what they do is a little bit more reliable, even though Golden State has a couple of all time great shooters. Uh, it's just tough to shoot like that every night for seven game series. And now you know, Golden State had a chance to win a couple of games when they didn't shoot well, and they didn't win those close games. Like last night, you're sitting there with a close, you know, one-score game. Can you find a way to win otherwise? And the thing that's tough is that the Lakers, you know, look, part of it is definitely the way they play. They get, you know, they get to the basket and they get foul calls. Uh, they made, what, 20 of 20 free throws last night? And, that you know, the funny thing about that is, like, Anthony Davis and LeBron James are both good free throw shooters, not great free throw shooters. Um, so for them to make every shot... 20 of 20, a perfect 100%. That's your, that's your difference, that, right? And, that and is now your they've, they're going to get more attempts every night than Golden State. That's been like that the whole series, and it's going to be like that because of the styles of play. But, you know, now you're, I mean, it's going to be tough for Golden State because, again, I, I don't know if they can shoot like that for three straight nights. So then can they find a way to win some, some other way in one of those other games? That's going to be tough. And they don't have the depth that they did in years past where they had guys like Iggy coming off the bench and Sean Livingston, right? They, they don't have those guys. They're built differently than they were when they came back three game uh, down three games to one against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, of course, they would go on to rally and beat the Thunder, and then Kevin Durant joined them the next year. Look, Curry had 31 points, but he was bad from three-point range. He was 3 of 14. Now, is Steph going to go 3 of 14 from three-point range the rest of the series? Probably not. No, he's too good too good for that. But it is something to your point, Dawson. Two con- con- contrasting styles of play. Golden State wants to get up and down. They want to shoot up threes. L.A. is okay slowing it down a little bit, being more physical. And we saw that style of play frustrate Memphis. And now we're seeing it frustrate Golden State. 
I don't know how far the Lakers can go if they do get past Golden State. Once again, the Warriors know how to come back from a 3-1 to one deficit in a playoff series. We've seen them actually do it. But the other thing is that we should be having a dominant Anthony Davis game in game five, right? If everything holds the form. <laughs> so, but can the Lakers sustain this moving forward? I mean, we thought it was going to be a good matchup for them against Memphis because the veteran, their style of play and the fact that they had that veteran presence. They're playing a veteran team now that has great shooters and they still have the advantage. Yeah, but I do think I said that after game one. The difference in this series, too, for me is I just don't think Golden State has really anybody to throw at some of the bigs that, and some of the physicality that, that the Lakers can do. So I actually still think this is a plus matchup for the Lakers, and I said that coming in. Now, I kind of thought Golden State would find a way to shoot themselves through a couple of these games early in the series and then at that point make it you know, a, a toss-up. Yeah. But they haven't. So now... You know, if if you're asking about what they what it, what a Western Conference Finals with the Lakers looks like, um, I think Phoenix and Denver both provide some different issues. Now, the advantage against playing Denver is that Jokic isn't always great defensively, so that's kind of potentially an, an area you can attack. Now, Aiton, you know, I think you probably like the Aiton matchup a little less, but Aiton's also inconsistent, and his motor, you know, sometimes questioned. There was that video of him of the ball being tapped up against the backboard four or five times, and Aiton's just standing there he watching just it. just sit there and watch it because um, he's like, oh, there's a rebound. <laughs> uh, the, the physicality of the Lakers, would I, I feel like they would have an advantage, especially down low but in both of those series. But it's certainly not as significant as the one they have right correct. now. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. So, Lakers are in complete control, up three games to one against the defending champs in the Western Conference semifinals. The other game... The Miami Heat. Just, <laughs> how they're doing this minus two guys. This is a team that, once again, lost in the play-in tournament his very first game to Atlanta and had to earn its way in the hard way. They've knocked off the one seed. Now they're on the verge of knocking off the New York Knicks after last night's 109-101 to 101 win. There's Jimmy Butler. He's just giving you 27 points, six rebounds, 10 assists. Dawson is just, you know, it's what he does. <laughs> he just what he does. And Brunson goes off for 32 and 11 for the Knicks. But it didn't matter because the Heat win. By the way, players with 10 consecutive playoff games with 25-plus points since 1995. Here's another list. Michael Jordan, Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, Kevin Durant, and now Jimmy Butler. It's unreal how he plays the game and what he's like in the playoffs. No, it's a um, it's an all time run. I think, like, I, I really do think. I, I don't like to use hyperbole when it's not necessary, but I think it's an all time you know run of games that's being put together by Jimmy Butler. Now, I think the Knicks are are certainly helping the cause. Like they. Oh. They are not – it doesn't feel like they were ready for the moment, so to speak, as well, which, you know. Not being there matters, and you're yeah, and starting they had to a, see you know, that, They had right? a little bit of an experience, you know, in, in in the way they played kind of down the stretch last year, and they kind of announced themselves a little bit. But I think 
Um, it's kind of funny, too, because, and I guess it was a matchup of teams that both hadn't been there against Cleveland, but they looked good against Cleveland for a lot of that series, and obviously they won the series for a reason. They looked great against Cleveland in stretches. Yeah, but they just haven't looked ready for, no. A, the the intensity that Miami plays with. I mean, they've got I, Eric Spolstra again. Like I, You know, and, and part of it is like, well, if they're that great, why didn't they win games from regular season? I, I don't know. They just found a different gear, and they're a different They team found a right different now. gear. Jimmy was banged up during the regular season a little bit. So was Lowry. They they had guys that missed time. They they seemed to be lost for a while, right? Yeah, like and like I said, they were significant. They were not good. Like They really were not a good team for a large portion of the regular season. They were last in the NBA in scoring. There's a, a reason why they were in the playing tournament. There's a reason why they were in the playing tournament. But they find a way, right? And Butler had 27 and 10 assists. Uh, Bam gave them 23. They got 16 from uh, – they get 15 off the bench from Kyle Lowry. That's been working really well in the playoffs, right, using Kyle in that role. And what, once again, no Tyler Hero, right? Victor's out as well. Both of those guys are out with injury. And yet, they're getting contributions from guys like Duncan Robinson and Highsmith and Zeller and Vincent. Like They just find a way. When I watch Miami play, <laughs> I guess the best way to describe the Heat is they're that team, that pickup basketball team that's led by that one guy that's the alpha dog and a bunch of guys that work really hard. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, and that's the team that no one ever wants to face because they're going to outwork you. It always feels like Miami, especially during this playoff run, and we felt this way when they made the run in the bubble and even when they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, Dawson, that they wanted it more, that they were going to outwork you. You may have more talent right on your roster. You may have more star power, but Miami is not going to get outworked. And that was so surprising this year, it felt like, they were lost and that they were getting outworked during the regular season. But they've they've turned on a gear, man. They just have. Yeah, I mean, they've got a couple of veterans that, that didn't. And, and I guess that's the other thing, too, about postseason basketball. And sometimes it's it works in two opposite ways, whether veterans have enough in the tank to turn it on, and then sometimes guys – and look, Kevin Love didn't play for large stretches of the he season, right? Play, I mean, he, he was healthy scratch a lot, you know? And so it's not to say he's been – changing these series but he's given them some nice minutes and Kyle Lowry has I'd say Kyle Lowry has changed these series in a little bit like he has stepped up especially once Hero went out and you lost some of that scoring so I mean look I don't I don't see any way the Knicks win three straight like I could I can see the situation in which Golden State finds some you know magic I don't think it's likely but I can see it happening They're four-time champs right so, yeah I don't they, see uh I don't see the Knicks winning three straight games in, in almost any situation just because again like it doesn't even if you even if they steal a game there's going to be a moment where Jimmy Butler decides he's not losing the series <laughs> like because that's I think that's just how he plays at this point it is absolutely phenomenal and by the way we have two teams now one went away holding commanding 3-1 leads, one went away from advancing to their conference finals, and both of those teams were in the play-in tournament. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat. Wasn't expecting that. Not going to lie to you. Was not expecting that. Also worth noting, 
they both would have been playoff teams without the dumb playing tournament. So we could have just that not, is true. Not had it. But there we whatever. go. There we go. That is a fair point by you. Whew. NBA playoffs, man. Gotta love it. Gotta absolutely love it. And I can't wait to see if they're able to close out these series. Because the other series are filled with drama. Like tonight, 76ers Celtics. That's tied up 2-2. That's on tap tonight in Boston. And then we get Suns Nuggets. That series is tied up 2-2. So the other two series feel like seven-game series. The ones that played last night feel like they're going to be done the next game. And Chris Ball not playing tonight as well. That was announced. So that's another blow for Phoenix. Although they have won the games that he hasn't played in. But it just feels like, I don't know. I said I didn't think they could win the series without him. Um, Tonight's going to be... Very interesting to see. Very interesting. I love Chris Paul, but man, part of his legacy is going to be seemingly constantly injured in the playoffs. That feels like it's part of his story, and that sucks. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 in the company, and that company does include Dawson Isolo, because he brings big words to the table. Houston Astros... They took on the Los Angeles Angels last night. Otani, the fighting MVPs. It did not go the Astros' way. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Houston Astros. Lost three straight series. Looking to get back on track during this road trip of theirs. Nine-game road trip. Second leg of it. They're in Anaheim. It's not Los Angeles. I don't know why that irritates me so much. I really don't. I've been to that ballpark, by the way. It's a pretty nice ballpark. Back then, they were still the Anaheim Angels. They go into Anaheim, Los Angeles, San Diego, wherever they play. And well, they lose. Let's just let's just get right to it. Six four loss to the Halos. They drop below five hundred yet again. Hunter Brown got tagged early in this ball game. He only lasts four and a third. Gave up four earned runs on nine hits. Struck out three. Gave up a home run. Really, after the homer. He seemed to lose his mojo a little bit and really didn't regain form. But credit the Astros, even after Brown didn't have a good night on the mound, and they found themselves down early. They plated three runs in the third to to take the lead. Then it's a tied ball game after the third. They both trade runs in the fifth. And they head to the bottom of the eighth, and it's a tie ball game. It's 4-4. Let's go. And they got their bullpen, who they brought everyone back from the World Series run a year ago. Last season, rather. And Montero 
was what we call not good. Dawson, I don't know what fancy college word you could use to describe Montero. I'll give you some time here to go through that thesaurus that's inside that big brain of yours to come up with a good way of describing Montero's performance of coming into the ballgame and giving up two runs on one hit with one walk. He'll get to us shortly. Uh, not good. <laughs> he just did that on purpose. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's gross. It's gross. Look, and, and you got some, you actually got protection from Abreu last night. He doubled to right. He got an extra base hit. Yeah, it was it was an excuse me double. It was an accidental double, but it was a double. <laughs> she said it's an excuse me double. Yeah, I mean the first. Nice. I mean, it, he took a ball almost in the catcher's glove, put it down the first baseline. They had him shifted, and I mean it was. <laughs> we're not we're not going to give him credit. I see. Well, I, I'd like to see him put a good swing on a fastball and hit it hard Ooh. once. That's that. Um, that hasn't happened yet. That is not. That has not happened yet. Now look. Dubon got a hit. Bregman had a couple of hits, which was nice to see, including a triple that brought in a run, right? Uh, by the way, triples are wildly underrated. Most I, exciting play in baseball, right? I I love triples, and I don't think we praise them enough. But that's a discussion for Kevin another day. Kevin Gaddis had an incredible run of triples one season. It was it was awesome to see. <laughs> Alvarez has two hits. Bottom of the lineup kind of betrayed him, right? McCormick's back in the lineup. He went 0 for 4. Jeremy Pena went 0 for 4. Kyle Tucker went 0 for 4. So you can't waste David Hensley home runs. You're not going to get him often, so you need to take advantage when you do, and they didn't. Otani, who's the greatest player ever to play the game of baseball, I keep being told, was 2 of 4 with two RBIs. And I'm sure he did something walking to the dugout that's never been done before. That has to be documented by ESPN in great detail. 6-4 6-4 loss. Sandoval was not great either, by the way, for the Angels. He gave up four earned runs on seven hits. But they found a way to lose the game. That leads us to our poll question of the day. And the big brain came up with it. So why don't you tell the people what our poll question of the day is, of course, it is Houston Astros related, Mr. Eisenberg. Yeah, well, they fall below 500, um, and and as we've talked about, the early season struggles they've had usually haven't stretched this far into the season. Now they've got some reasons why the injuries, and I'm still not overly concerned with it. But the heartbeat of the team has not been able to play a single game. That's Jose Altuve. Right. Yes. Um, so my question, my poll question of the day, is going to be: What's the area of concern? Where does the focus need to be, and is it on the bullpen, which? Uh, not injuries, just ineffectiveness, um, which I think you've certainly got some cause for concern there. I think there's an opportunity to add some guys here and there, and we'll see how that goes. But that's the first option. The second one's going to be the starting pitcher injuries, um, which I think is maybe the clear answer here. Um, if you you know, but I, I I think you could go bullpen as well, um, just because Garcia's done now and Arcidi, it's going to be a while. So let's see what happens there. We'll see what JP looks like in his second opportunity, uh, assuming he gets it in a couple of days here. And then the starter, the position player injuries um, would be the third. Now that one, I, I think you're starting to see those guys come back. Uh, McCormick played 
Brantley's supposed to play soon. Altuve should be in the next couple weeks. So maybe not as much concern, but we'll see. Um, and then lastly, other. Is it something else? Is it the... Uh, is it the pressure of defending a championship? Is it the the, the lackadaisical? Is it a medicine season? Uh, not yeah, medicine season could be one way, or is it a, you know, contentness? Like I mean, I think we've seen this team fight, and and I think honestly, this you know the scandal that it was and all the disrespect maybe fueled them forward for a couple more years. But now they got back over the mountain, and and they, they finally and they won the World it. Series again. Yeah, so That's is, part it, of it. is so that going to be part of it? As they, well? They've they've breathed right. They've kind of relaxed a little bit. That could be part of it. I also think they've been to the ALCS six straight years. All that extra baseball piles up. And four of those years, they went to the World Series. That's a great run. But you got to be kind of (laughs) tired. You know, that's part of it. Right now, the vote totals, 38% of you say starting pitcher injuries – 31% 31% say other, 23% say bullpen, 8% say position player injuries. Let's get to some early comments. You guys are up and ready to go this morning, just clamoring for the poll question of the day. JPKD OD says, all of the above are 1B, 1C, and 1D. 1A is that they are in the same division as the Seattle Mariners. Here he is. Here he is with the Mariners, his Mariners fandom. By the way, Seattle's in the same position as Houston. They're 17 and 18. <laughs> Postscript, it's early. We all know the Rangers and Angels are going to fold down the stretch. My man shared a gif of moonlighting. Shout out to JPK the OD for that. I'm here for that. I'm old enough to remember that show and enjoy that show. Ton says, for me, it's just not one thing. Injuries, obviously, a lack of urgency on the field, a lack of hitting. Astros are notorious for slow, slower starts, and once guys get healthy, hopefully things will shift. Just hope we aren't in for the false hope of the Pels once we're healthy. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day about those Houston Astros. When we take, when we come back, rather, from our timeout, LSU baseball, Jay Johnson spoke with the media yesterday, talked about the pitching, talked about his team dropping that first series of the conference season at Auburn. We'll hear from Jay Johnson next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Um, like I said, Friday can't do it any better than that. It's a it's a beautiful start, and it's you know two relievers, eighteen pitches, you know between Ackenhausen and Hurd. You can't draw it up any better than that. And then you know, like I said, I mean Ty was as good as you could ask for for the beginning of that game and that really excites me about him and then we were just kind of in a and as a coach you know from the outside you don't understand this you're just in this really difficult spot where we still have 12 outs to get and um javen we got to kind of get him going so it was the right spot and right time to bring in he was amazing in the fifth 
and they just kind of lost it a little bit in, in the sixth after a long inning. Um, and then we just had trouble getting outs after that. Um, but stayed in the game, scored a couple more runs to, to give ourselves a chance to win. So on face value, Saturday as you lost a tough game on the road against an SEC team where we gave them more free bases than they gave us. That's Saturday. And then yesterday, you know, just put ourselves in a really bad spot early and um, did not dig out of it. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about I still think there's enough guys to execute the way we want to to win weekends, to win games. And we just got to get them a little bit better and get them in, in the right spot to be successful. And um, we're going to work hard at that this week. Jay Johnson, LSU skipper, about the pitching performances over the weekend. They have the best pitcher in the country. That's what Skeens is. Best pitcher in the country and a guy that's, let's be honest, probably not going to fall out of the top three for the Major League Baseball amateur draft. And he'll be joined in the top three by with by Dylan Cruz. So LSU will likely have two players drafted in the top three and they may have their second number one overall draft pick because they've only had one, believe it or not. Best pitcher in the country. Best lineup in the country. But the pitching behind it has been wildly inconsistent. And typically, they can out-hit it. And Jay's right when he talks. Ty was great early. And then he had an inning where he wasn't. Coleman was great early until he wasn't. They got guys that have the talent. They just have these moments where the game gets away from them. Can Ty still be that guy like Dawson has said? Yeah. Can Coleman be that guy for them to go out there and give them a start and eat up five good innings? Yeah. They just have to do it consistently there's still time to do it but really it's those two guys like that's LSU's best chance is have Ty be that guy or have Coleman be that guy because the rest of the guys do you count can you count on Cooper or Blake or any of the other guys they throw out of the pen do you even trust Christian Little to step on a baseball field Right now? No. You don't. So it's Ty, Floyd, or it's Coleman. Those are your two best bets. There's a reason why Jay Johnson made sure to mention them, right? You heard it? He didn't mention the other guys in that clip, did he? On Sunday when things went wrong. He knows the two guys that he can trust more, and he's been trusting Ty for a while now, even though Ty has been okay. He's still LSU's best option. That's their best option. And Ty's pitched pretty well during a stretch. But then he had one bad inning that got away from him. Now, can he flush that? Can they move on? And you notice what Jay also said there too, Dawson. We got to get Coleman the time in a game, right? Because he understands how important Coleman's going to be for them to make a run. His stuff is magnificent when healthy, right? He's coming off injury. So he's thinking, hey, we got to give him some time. He came in, he pitched really well for an inning. 
And then the next inning, he lost it. So they're in this weird spot, especially with Coleman, where Jay knows, and he's telling you, behind Ty, that's our best chance. That's our best guy. We have to get him in-game reps because he got, he's got to shake off the rust and we got to build up the stamina for him to be able to go out there and eat up innings because he doesn't trust anyone else. They just don't. They don't trust Blake Money. They don't trust Thatcher Hurd. They don't trust Cooper. They, they don't trust any of those guys, man. They just don't. And if I'm Jay Johnson, I don't really blame him. I really don't. You can trust Ty. And then maybe you can trust Coleman. And the rest of the guys, you can't trust. You can't trust any of those guys. Good back and forth. Thank you. I, You know, it's funny, too, because sometimes you just stop and then you look at me. But then other times you, you pause and then you just keep your thought. I'll go to the mic. And you saw me a minute ago. I had it up to the mic. And then you kept your thought going. So I said, all right, let me back off here. It's tough. Sometimes your verbal cues are a little confusing. I know the people can't Thank see you. all that look, unless they're watching the look, simulcast. Look, I didn't get to on stage go to the University of Louisiana, Lafayette, and then Florida State, obviously. If I would have went there, I would have been better with my verbal cues for you. Well, your nonverbal cues, I should non-verbal say that. That's, cues, yeah. Anyway, no, it's fine. Um, yeah. Look, I've been saying it for a really long time, and, and I know we have to talk about it every day because I just I just don't think it's going to matter until the Supers. Like, I just think it's whether they pitch well in that weekend. I really do. You, um, but, but you need the guys. I agree with you on your point. I don't think it really is going to matter until the Supers, and then it'll definitely matter when they get to Omaha. Right. You, But the thing is, with baseball, and you know this just like everyone else, you have to build up some confidence for those guys, for them to be able to shine – for you on the biggest stage so getting Ty back on track after having let's be honest a rough inning he did pitch well extremely well to start that game getting him back on track and getting Coleman enough reps to have the confidence to put him out there and for him to have the confidence that's going to be key for LSU in my opinion these last two series and then the SEC tournament yeah Ty Floyd it's kind of like Jackson Neza for you all um Ooh. there's a there's a collision of worlds there combination of of uh, of a comparison of two teams that that are in the area, like Jackson Ness is really really good when he's on, and then but the problem and and what he's working on, and I think he's gotten a little bit better with it as it's, the season's gone on, is when it when it falls off and all of a sudden he doesn't have it. Correct. He's got to limit the damage, and and Jackson Ness had a couple innings early in the season where he's pitching well, and then he gives up seven runs in an inning because he walks three guys and gives up a couple of homers, like and and Ty Floyd's had a little bit of that in him. It hasn't been as bad. Um, but that's why when you look at Neza, you see the ERAs like in the sevens. But yet Matt Deggs is going, he's our Friday night guy. He's got our best stuff, and we're going to run him out there, uh, which is the updated plan for you all. Like, so that's the, that's where I think Floyd has to be. And, and basically all these LSU pitchers, like you mm-hmm. can give because you can give up runs. They just need to find ways to limit the big innings and just make the, you know, when you give up a couple of runs, make it one or two instead of giving up four or five runs instead of walking a couple of guys. Then, you know, White kicks a ground ball like we saw the other day and then you give up a three run homer. Now, all of a sudden, that's that hurts you. Right. But a solo shot or a bleeder, you know, RBI single, but then you get the big strikeout to follow it up is, is what they need. And again, that's not easy. That's why, you know, the, the guys who are hitting are trying to. uh not allow you to get, you know, to limit the damage, of course. But I think that's where they have to be, and I think they're going to be better with that. I think I, I, I just don't think you, uh, 
Look, they've also they played some weird games. Like the Auburn series was weird, you know, and and, mm. and the Alabama series before that was kind of weird too. And we found out, I guess, some of the reasons why it was weird afterwards with all the, you know, betting nonsense that went down. I don't know if that had an impact on the series or not. I don't necessarily think that was the case, but yeah, like you just have to find a way to to, to win when you're going to give up a couple. Just limit the damage, and I think if they're able to do that again, that's when your offense being so elite, correct, can help you out. But when you give up six runs in the first inning against Auburn. Now that's that's a tough hole to try to crawl out of, which is what happened the other day. So, well, Christian Little started, it did not go well. Obviously, after dropping two of three to Auburn over the weekend, they dropped in most of the ranking services to number two. I personally think rankings are silly. I think if you're LSU, I told this to someone the other day. I don't think it matters. Like as long as yeah. you win the championship at the end, that's all that matters. If you're top, if you're top eight, and even specifically top four, it, it really doesn't matter. And this but. team is not dropping out of the top four. So we will be. have a ranking conversation. I don't like rankings either, but I do have something specific. Oh, we're gonna have one next hour. Have a ranking conversation. Coming yes. Up. But Jay Johnson was asked, "Hey, could you use the updated rankings that came out yesterday with LSU dropping to number two and Wake Forest becoming the new number one ranked team in the country?" as any type of motivation i actually in the best way possible like i think we've only used that to our advantage the entire year you know and um what i mean by that is the players understand that relative to what happens on the field and results it's completely irrelevant and it has been from day one so uh it'll remain that way i mean as competitors you know obviously love being on top and my hat's off to them for how they've handled that and i don't I don't see that as anything. So they're not going to downplay it. Actually, look, if you're a fan, you've seen what happens for 20-plus years to the number one ranked team in the country, that they don't win the national title. And sometimes they don't even make it to Omaha. This LSU team is good enough. I don't care if they're one, two, three, or four, or five. They're good enough to make it to Omaha. So once again, the ranking in that regard I don't think really matters because you're still going to be – an LSU team that's going to host a regional and host a super. There you go. And then you'll move on and you'll be in Omaha. And I still like this team's chances to make it to Omaha. By the way, the weekend did not change my perception of the LSU baseball team. It just, once again, just showed what could be the Achilles heel for LSU. The lack of pitching depth. Could be. Could yeah. is the word. Could is the key word in that phrase could be the last thing i'd mention about the rankings is i know and it's and it's natural and i get it the there was a lot of well that team's not in the sec they don't play good competition about wake uh the acc is really loaded this year it's not the sec but it's close uh or it's at least in the ballpark and wake forest if you haven't watched wake forest play i would encourage watching them uh they've got a legit friday night guy in rhett louder and they've got more depth in the pitching rotation. I don't know if the lineup is as good as LSU's. It's 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 in the conversation though. So um, I just think uh, I know there's some a lot of dismissing of Wake of Wake. And uh, again, I don't think that means Wake's going to win the College World Series because we know what happens to one seeds. But um, Wake is a uh, is a very good team in the ACC. I agree. They're very and, good and, and also hasn't lost a series all year. Which LSU shared that with Wake, and now that's just Wake. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll wrap up our number one, get you prepped for our number two. That's next, right here on the game. 
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on James to the show. James, I got about 40 seconds, but it's yours, brother. What's on your mind, bud? I'll need about 30, Mr. RP3. Hey, I got something that's been gnawing on me about LSU baseball, and I just wanted to know if you, you know, get your opinion. Okay. I keep, I keep thinking 2016, man. They were awesome, and then along came this little team called Coastal Carolina nobody ever heard of and knocked Ooh. them out and exposed their weaknesses. And this, this year it's been gnawing at me that, you know, there's Campbell out there and Dallas Baptist and some of these non-traditional teams that are looking to make their bones, and I just see it sitting up to be done at LSU's expense this year. I appreciate That's the phone. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the phone call. My man went back and brought up Coastal Carolina. That is interesting because wasn't that the same year that UL was at home for the regionals and they lost to Arizona? And those two teams would face each other in for the national championship. Was it uh right? was that 2016 for UL baseball or was that 2015? But uh either way, that's it was certainly the same time frame. Yeah, look, I Yeah, LSU, that was 2016. LSU lost in um they had Utah Valley, Rice in the Baton Rouge Regional, and they lost to Coastal Carolina eleven to eight and then four to three as Coastal would go on to win the national title. And I'm looking here, Starkville, Louisville. Look, I, you know, I, I get the comparison. I think this LSU team's better than that one. Um, and, and I would have to go back and dive in a little bit to find some of, you know, to, to remember exactly what the flaws were. Um, but I think this is a better LSU roster, and I think the lineup is just, is just again, it's just not something you see every year. So I understand that. I. I would more compare this LSU team a little bit to the uh, to the team that lost to Florida in the title series, and even then, I think this lineup is better. The pitching certainly doesn't have as much depth, but we'll have to discuss that in another hour. Good question. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. We'll kick it off with Brett Chancy of Locked On Astros. That's next. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here on RP3 and company. Dawson's got something up his sleeve. That's a good discussion topic coming up in about half an hour from right now. 
concerning the Louisiana Raging Cajun softball team. We'll dive into that later this hour. Also, keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. It's a good one as well. What are you the most concerned about when it comes to the Houston Astros? They lost last night to the Angels. Bullpen, eh. Hunter Brown, eh. Abreu hitting the ball, eh. There's a lot to go eh, about right now about the Strokes as they fall below 500 yet again. What's your biggest concern? Is it the bullpen's performance? Is it the starting pitching injuries? Is it position player injuries? Or is it other? Keep voting on that. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. But right now, it's time for us to talk more about those Astros with a man who talks about them every day. From the Locked On Astros podcast, our good friend Brett Chancy joins us now. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Well, you know, I'm doing good, but it would have been nicer to talk to you about a win. I was actually thinking about that as they were up, and then they slowly let the lead get away. Um, man, this is this is just some weird stuff we're seeing out of these last few games from the Houston Astros. They had such a great stretch where they won three straight series against the likes of the Blue Jays, the Braves, and the Tampa Bay Rays and looked great in those three series. And then they inexplicably lose two of three to Philly and then lose two of three to the Giants, then lose two of three at Seattle, and now they've started off this series with a loss. This team hasn't been in this position this late into the season since 2016, and that was the year before the run of six straight ALCS appearances. What are you the most concerned about right now? I understand it's May the 9th and it's still early and they still don't have Altuve back or McCullers back, but what's the thing that stands out most to you that makes you go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm a little concerned? Well, it's simply the the inconsistency of the offense and then – the bullpen is not performing the way it did last year. You know, last year the bullpen was such a lockdown, you know, part of the team. And you know right now with, you know, McCullers still out, now with Rakiti down, now with Garcia down, you know that the starting pitching might be a big question mark. But if you can at least have the bullpen come in and secure things for you when you get a lead, then you can kind of, you know, get through some of that stuff. You can wade through those waters. They just have not been stellar. They have not been dependable. And the offense has shown flashes of brilliance and has some bright spots in it, but they've been way too inconsistent this year. Bullpen's been inconsistent. Starting pitching has been banged up, and now you're going to have to rely on some young guys because Garcia's out for the season. Urquidy, who we thought would be a quick stint on the IL, we come to find out, courtesy of Chandler Rome over the weekend, that no, no, he may not be back until the All-Star break. So that great depth of the rotation has taken a hit. Going to have to count on some young guys. Do you think the young guys are going to be able to rise to the occasion for this team that's looking to get back to another World Series? 
Well, you would hope so, but you know that that's a lot of pressure putting on them, especially Hunter Brown. You know, last night, even after the game, he talked about how they would just, they had a couple hard hit balls and he was just like, I couldn't keep the lead. You know, um, they just, every time the Astros would go ahead, the Angels would come back and look, the Angels have, have a lineup that when they're hitting on all cylinders is very difficult to face. You know, their home run leaders, not even Trout or Otani. And that's scary stuff with the, with them. But look, I mean, JP France came out. Did a did a really good job in his in his debut, but then again, the offense couldn't hold them. So the question is, if you're going to have your young pitchers and the Belax and these guys give you decent starts, what is your offense going to do to back them up? And if you can't do that, that's a lot of pressure putting on them early, which really makes me think that maybe the young guys start struggling. And if they start struggling, then you don't have any aspect of your ball club that's doing what it's supposed to be doing. So right now it's not looking great, but like you said, I don't think we're in panic mode yet. I don't think we hit the reset button yet, but man, when I thought we were going to go through trials this year, I didn't know that we would see this many things that we were worried about so early. Well, hey, Brad, it's Dawson here. I wanted to ask you a question from a, from a fellow Astros fan perspective as opposed to RP3's, you know, brave angle that he gives you. Oh, but, uh, there, there it is. But anyway, uh, offensively, Jose Abreu, and I described it as I, I think he hit a double by accident last night, but we're obviously still not seeing it with him. Do you get the sense that, that Dusty's going to go down on that ship uh, and, and Abreu's just going to stay in there? I understand the investment put in, but I just I feel like at times maybe you can give him a few days off, try and just reset it. Yeah, I would love for him to have a reset. I just, Dusty is so much of a old school baseball guy where, like, you're the veteran. We paid you $36 million. You have a history of hitting all these things. I, I just think that there's there's kind of this code in baseball that I think Dusty really lives by. And he has a loyalty to that mentality and almost to a fault because if it's me and I can get a guy moved around and I can drop him in the lineup, I can put him behind somebody that's fifth or sixth, but I can still get him at bats, I'm going to do what I can to move the lineup to make it more productive. I just don't see Dusty doing that. If he does, I would be shocked. Um, but there's also another thing with Yiner Diaz, second fast, second fastest pop time in Major League Baseball. Um, he needs more consistent at bats. Are you going to start seeing more playing time for Diaz over Maldonado? Where that I think same scenario plays a part where you have a loyalty to your stalwart veteran. So unless Dusty has a mind shift. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I think it's something that absolutely needs to happen in 2023 for the Astros. Well, and kind of on that same line of thinking, what about the the rotation where you have a guy like Hunter Brown who we have high expectations for now moving forward? Now, last night was, wasn't his best outing, um, but there's, of course, going to come into question this innings limit or, or the perceived innings limit of not wanting to overwork him. And then you get a guy like J.P. France who comes up, and it's one start, so we'll see where it goes from there, but... 
Do you think there's going to be some pressure for the Astros to add arms, not out of necessity, but just out of caution so that they don't overuse a guy like Hunter Brown? Oh, yeah, definitely. And you're going to have to start looking at what you have to be able to bring somebody in. I know um, there's a guy named Matt Collier on uh, Twitter. He actually created a stat that's called Fabio. And it's not the not the guy from the I Can't Believe It's Not Butter commercials, but it's an actual statistic that's that's used. And it's actually used quite heavily in college baseball. He was he had he had suggested that that Gilbert Drew Gilbert's rise to Double A makes him a prime candidate to be a trade piece for the Astros to bring in an arm this year. Um, and you've got to look at what the Astros' success of their minor league guys are, and are those going to be people that they position to dangle in front of clubs to bring in an arm? Um, I'm not saying Drew Gilbert's that guy, but those are the type of things the Astros are now going to have to be. They're going to have to face the reality of is what assets do we have that we can get rid of and offload to bring someone in? Because it's a lot to ask for Hunter Brown. He does lead all rookies in war with 1.1 war. He leads all rookie pitchers in strikeouts and innings pitched, um, ERA and things like that. But it's a lot to ask for him this season without the support around him, especially now with Arquiti and Garcia both done. And Arquiti looks like, you know, not till the All Star break. We're talking with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. Six straight ALCS appearances, four World Series runs in that time. Could what we're seeing here as well, Brett? Just be fatigue and just a a team that has had half a dozen years of deep postseason runs who finally got over the hump and won a World Series, proving everyone wrong last year that they could do it without the trash cans. Are we just seeing a team that's just kind of taking a sigh of relief a little bit and is just a little tired? You know, that is something that I always think about, especially this year with the, with the multiple areas where we seem to be lacking. Now, the players counter that and say, you know, that's not it for them, that, you know, they go out every day expecting to win. Um, you know, Jordan Alvarez still hitting the ball characteristically really, really well, but it's got to. At some point, deep postseason runs multiple years in a row, it's got to have some effect on them. And that's where the Astros are faced with how do we face this challenge and face it successfully because at the top of the division is the Texas Rangers. And say what you want to about them, I still I have a hard time believing that they win the division but if they keep playing the way they're playing and the Astros keep doing what they're doing, it's not out of the question that you have that you're looking from the from the outside looking in to the, your division slowly slipping away to be given to somebody else. Um, there's got to be something to that fatigue, though. We'll wrap it up with this: We expect Michael Brantley back this week. 
And obviously, uh, Altuve will come back at the end of the month. So there's two position guys and two of their best bats returning. But they're going to have to play it kind of slow with Brantley because he hasn't played in a year. And then Altuve had a serious injury. So what should the expectations be, Brett, with those two stars and two of their best hitters, their one-two hitters, really, coming back? What should the realistic expectations be, especially early on? Well, I think with Brantley coming back, I think to me, I've got lower expectations for him starting out, you know, for the reasons you mentioned. Jose Altuve, seeing the way he's taken BP, and I, I know that's not in a game situation, but, you know, he hit like six balls out of the park um, at, um, at, 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 at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. He was taking BP in Sugarland yesterday. He's about to start a rehab assignment here pretty soon be put on the 10-day IL officially. They haven't announced it. Altuve will be fine, I think, when he comes back. Brantley is the one that will probably be more slow coming back. Maybe you see him play a game or two in a row, and then they sit him. Um, How much are they going to put him out in left field? For Brantley, it's going to be about rhythm. But Brantley's year just – he's such a – he seems so laid back. I think you're going to see him contribute early, but they probably won't put him in every single game once he comes up, and I'm okay with that. We need him healthy, and that's important, getting him in the rhythm. But I think Altuve will probably hit the ground running. I'll get you out here with this. It's early. It's only the beginning of May. But we Astros have seemingly have dealt with everything. Injuries to core position players. Injuries to the rotation. The bullpen has been shaky. The big free agent acquisition in the offseason hasn't been very good. There's been a lot of negative around the defending World Series champs, but it's still early. If we're in this same position where they're hovering below 500 and they're still not right at the end of this month, after Memorial Day weekend, Will it then be the time to start to be immensely concerned about this team for this season? I still would say give it, give it, give it to the All Star break, and I say that because our division is not super great. I mean, I know, I know the Angels are playing better, but the Mariners still aren't showing signs of greatness like we thought they were going to show this year. But because of the division we're in, I still don't think it's time to panic at that point. Um, a lot of other things have to go right for us to think that. But the Astros would help themselves sooner rather than later if they could, in these tough times, start winning more consistently series-wise, like they did against three very good teams. So we've seen the ability. I just wouldn't. I would pump the brakes on that a little bit because of the veterans because of the experience on this club. And that's why I think ultimately this club will find a way to get it done, even in the trying times we're going through right now. Brett, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday, bud. Hey, thank you. And as always, go Strohs. Check us out on YouTube, guys. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts 
that talk like they know everything. But you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. What is the Astros' biggest concern? Right now, 46% of you say starting pitcher injuries. 25% say the bullpen. And it has not not performed well. Consistently well. 21% say other. 8% of you say position player injuries. You were on the fence back and forth. You said it could have gone either way. D to the low. Are you going with the bullpen's inconsistency or are you going with the obvious one, which would be starting pitching injuries? Well, I'll go with the bullpen just because that's the one that doesn't seem like it has a a fix uh, or a clear fix other than guys just pitching better, which is, you know, that's very possible. Um, But the starting pitching thing, like you'll get Urquidy and McCullers at some point as, as long as things go the way you want them to. So, and, you know, look, We'll see what JP looks like in his second outing, but that could be a legitimate option as well. So I think there, like, there's clear answers to that. The position players, there's clear answers with Altuve and Brantley, and um, the bullpen, like, they'll just have to pitch better. But that's like less, you know, that's less of a certainty than I think other guys just coming back. It would help if the bullpen pitched better. Yeah. For me, I think it's a look. They they still have enough starting pitching. You still have Framer, right? You still have your ace. It's not like you lost your ace. So you still have him. You still have Christian Javier. You, you got Hunter, your man, JP. I mean, I, I feel like there's a connection there between you and him. Maybe you should try to see if we can get him on the show. I'm just I'm just saying. You keep mentioning him like you guys are friends. Let's bring him to the show. I specifically told you we're not, and I, I don't know why you're doubling down on that. <laughs> Where do we stand with... Papa Iserlow, the original Iceman. He's busy. I don't know what else to tell you. He really is. Hmm. I mean, if you want to call him, I'll give him. You, I'll give you the number. You can discuss it. I try feel and work like something out. I feel like you are not relaying the messages. Uh, to, he listens to, to the show almost every day, so he's probably already heard it. The original Iceman. Um, you know, because that's been a tradition. We have family members on of people that are on this show, of RP3 and Company. Okay. It's what we do. We're, it's all about, we're like Dominique Toretto in the Fast and the Furious franchise. It's all about family, Dawson. It's all about family and street racing and then becoming and essentially the James Bond Yeah, and flying and, and driving in space. Going to different planets. <laughs> and uh, having a long-lost brother that no one knew about for seven movies all of a sudden pop up. Um, I am excited about the new one, though. I can't help myself. Can't help myself. I'm right there with you. A franchise that began as point break with cars, then just evolved into absolutely phenomenal ridiculousness. By the way, Fast Five may be the best action movie of the last 20 years, period. I'll be on board with that. It's a fantastic it's, cinematic it, piece of it's perfect. history, really. It's, per- it's perfect. I digress. I get back on track. We we will work on the original Iceman making an appearance here in RP3 and company sooner than later. I Look, the, the thing with the Astros with the pitching is something that they can easily figure out, though. 
right? They can always make a move. Like, like This is what this team has done. This is what most contenders do. They'll make some type of move to shore up their bullpen or shore up their rotation. And here's the other deal. Maybe, let's say Urquidy come doesn't come back. You're still going to get Lance McCullers Jr. back, right? Maybe the young guys don't work out, right? Let, let's do worst-case scenario here. Let's say Urquidy is shut down for the rest of the year. You don't get him back, or when you do get him back, he's paw ball. And you only got Valdez and Javier and Hunter Brown and maybe JP. But maybe the young guys get roughed up and you don't want to use them too much. Well, you got McCullers coming back. Last time I – hold on, let me count it. And look, you have the two degrees, so you can help with math. Framer, Christian, Hunter, JP, and then Lance McCullers Jr. That's still a five-man rotation, right? Let's say you don't want to overwork the youngsters. You go get you a veteran pitcher. That's how it works. So that's what I'm not concerned about, about this Astros team. I think they're going to figure out the pitching. I think they'll figure out the bullpen. I think they'll make moves at the trade deadline. My bigger thing is, besides Alvarez, the lineup is the thing that kind of makes me go, boy, they look tired. Now, they get Brantley back, but you don't want to rush it because he hasn't played baseball in a year. You'll get Altuve back, and Brett seems to think that Altuve will be a quick adjustment back to being in the everyday lineup. That would be a great shot in the arm, so to speak. But you got to get some production from Abreu. You got to get Bregman to be more around the 275 average, which would help. It would help if you got Jeremy Pena started. Those are the things that, yeah, we, we focus right in on the pitching. You go, oh. But it's the lineup and the consistency there that you worry about if we get to the all-star break and they're still struggling a little bit. Because they do struggle bringing in runners. They do struggle with some consistency and guys just not looking right. Tucker's in a slump right now. He hasn't looked right in a while. Alvarez has been a monster. Tucker was great early in the season. Now he's in a slump. Bregman's still not right where he needs to be, which I feel like we keep saying this every single year about Alex Bregman. And maybe the high point for Alex Bregman was him finishing as MVP runner-up to Mike Trout that year. Like, maybe this is just who he is. Maybe this is just who Jeremy Pena is as well. Maybe last year's postseason run has... You, we've talked about it on the show. Maybe that is kind of made the expectations of what Jeremy Pena should be kind of thrown out of whack. But the hitting is something to monitor moving forward. Look, still way too early to panic. I know they haven't been in this position this late in the season since 2016. But they're getting Altuve back this month. They're getting Michael Brantley back this month. They're hoping to get Lance McCullers Jr. back by before the All-Star break. So there could be a lot of things that could happen here that could turn a switch and turn things around for the Houston Astros. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. we got to take a timeout. When we return, I'm letting you guys know right now. It's ready, and I've got the, I've got the, oh. I've got the numbers pulled up. It's going to be a conversation. 
It's going to be a heated conversation because my man's fired up, and rightfully so. We don't put a lot of merit into rankings, but what occurred the last couple of days in particular, yesterday with some particular rankings? Well, and I'll say specifically, too, like, and it's my LSU, and when I say that, I'm not saying, like, oh, be quiet, stop complaining, LSU fans, but I'm saying there's certain situations in which they don't matter, and that's most of them, but there's certain situations in which they do, and we'll kind of get, uh, get to that after the break. And this is going to be possibly one of those situations. We'll dive into that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I didn't think the day would come where I would be pushed aside as Mr. Cranky Pants. In my household, I am deemed sometimes, and yesterday was a perfect example of this, of being told that I am Mr. Cranky Pants. Um, my daughter, Hattie, loves saying that to me. She also, her and her mother, my lovely wife, Tina, have come up with songs about my crankiness, uh, even so much so that uh, Daddy doesn't like Christmas or Daddy doesn't like Mondays or Daddy doesn't like anything. So I can be cranky from time to time. Lovingly so. But my man D-Lo this morning was fired up. It started in a text thread from yesterday about something that happened. I could pick up on the crankiness in his text. I, yeah, I don't know if cranky's the word, but... <laughs> Peeved? Can we go with that? You're you're a little upset. Yeah, focused and frustrated would be the word. The focused thing is and frustrated? The reason I'm focused is because I have all the data to kind of support my argument so so I'm, I'm gonna start using that with my family i'm not cranky i'm just focused and frustrated i like that all right bud so tell the world why you mr dawson eyes you got so much going for you. you have a lovely girlfriend you have a new vehicle you're working here at the game you have two degrees we're gonna get your dad on the air sooner than later the original iceman you have a lot to be happy about yet you're focused and frustrated. What has made you this way? Yeah, so I don't like talking about rankings because in a lot of situations they don't matter. I think right now in college baseball, the top eight, it doesn't matter. You're going to be a national seed. And in softball, it's the same way. Uh, if you're Oklahoma or UCLA or Oklahoma State, Florida State, you're fine. You're not worried about where you land in the top eight because you know you're going to be in a regional host and you're going to be a super regional host as well as a national seed. Um, but... There's some softball rankings right now that just that just quite frankly don't make sense, and I, I so I know from a person who is a UL grad and fan and stuff like that, um, you you know. But I'm going to eliminate the bias here, and I'm only going to give you RPI ratings. I'm only going to give you statistics about why it's just so ridiculous. So Louisiana uh, is actually not ranked, and they haven't. They've they've been right around 24, 25 in a lot of these polls. D1 softball has bounced them down and back up. They haven't lost a game uh, in a while, but that hasn't seemed to matter. And I just have a fundamental issue with, with what these ranking systems are doing. And a reason I do have this issue is because when the committees meet, 
to decide regional hosts and set up teams' opportunities to make their path to the College World Series, the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City. Those committees, like, I'm well aware that they can't watch every softball game that ever takes place, and they can't watch every UL softball game, just like they can't watch every Florida State or Oklahoma or UCLA softball game, right? So they're going to use all the data that's in front of them. And one of the big data points that they would likely use, whether they say they will or not, is the rankings that are provided by the outlets that put out softball rankings. And it's not just D1 softball, so I'm not singling them out here, but they don't have UL ranked in the top 25 at all. And I just find it preposterous, to, to be honest with you. Uh, UL softball is ranked number nine in the country in RPI. Um, they are a group of five teams, so to speak. Uh, it's a little bit different in baseball, but obviously not in a power conference. So I think that's your first knock, right? You go, well, they're not in a power conference. Um, so the strength of schedule must not be there, right? Wrong. The strength of schedule is ranked third in the country for UL. That is factoring in non-conference and conference strength of schedule. Um, their non-conference RPI is eighth. So their conference RPI is not much lower than that. It's only dropped them one spot. Their overall RPI is ninth. Their overall strength of schedule is in the top 15 in almost every service you look at. Their non-conference, by the way, I think I said that backwards. Non-conference strength of schedule is third. Their overall strength of schedule is 15th in the country. Um, So they're a top 10 team according to RPI, which is, by the way, a rating system that doesn't have any biases associated with it, and it goes on data points and results, which I kind of like, right? Um and so I don't mean I really didn't want this segment to turn into me picking on another team that doesn't usually get the credit it deserves, but I'll have to pick on Central Arkansas here because it's the most easy comparison because anytime I, I would compare them to the power conference teams, but then people automatically dismiss it and go, Oh, well, the strength of the conference and things like that. So Central Arkansas is nineteenth in the D one softball rankings right now. And UL's unranked. Central Arkansas is 19th in the RPI, so they actually put them exactly where they are in the RPI, but of course UL is 9th in the RPI, 10 spots higher. Um, Central Arkansas has 9 losses, that's 4 less than UL. They also have 39 wins, that's 4 less than UL, so they've played 8 less games. Central Arkansas has 3 RPI top 25 wins. Two of them are against Arkansas. UL has 2 RPI top 25 wins. Now, UL has 10 RPI top 25 losses, so a 2-10 and 10 record against RPI top 25 opponents is what people are going to point to. Um, Which as, is more like top 10, top 15. But right, yeah. that's exactly what I'll point out. As Kevin Foote and I have been saying, not all top 25 losses are created equally. Seven of the 10 losses that UL has in the RPI top 25 are top 15 teams, not teams ranked 15 to 25. Um, and then within that, four of them are to top five teams. So you have four losses in the top five of the best teams in softball. Florida State, Oklahoma State, UCLA, Oklahoma. Um, Central Arkansas has two losses of teams outside the top 100 in the RPI. UL has one. But this is the data point where I just don't understand how the Bears are ranked and the Cajuns aren't. Now look, again, I think Central Arkansas should be ranked. I think they're a great softball team. It's a great story. Central Arkansas has six wins against RPI top 50 teams. That's a pretty respectable number, right? UL has 15 wins over teams in the RPI Top 50. 15. They are 13-1 and against teams ranked between 26 and 50 in the RPI, which in college basketball, if those were road games, you'd call those quad one wins. Mm -hmm. UL has 15 of them. Yes. Also, you might say, well, the conferences. You know, everyone wants to knock the Sun Belt. It's not a power conference. Okay. Hashtag Fun Belt. The Sun Belt has 14 teams now. 
There's seven teams in the top 85 in the Sun Belt. The Atlantic Sun, which is where Central Arkansas plays, again, I don't want to knock other conferences like this because I think they all get unfairly treated, but for the sake of the argument, I have to. The Atlantic Sun has three teams within that same range of the top, and they have 13 teams overall. The Atlantic Sun also has, count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 teams ranked 100 or worse in the RPI. The Sun Belt in that same category has five. Okay. So the conference is objectively better, which means they have been tested week in and week out in conference play. The Cajuns have performed better against that conference. All, all your data points are correct. So why is the perception that UCA is a better team than UL? I have no idea, and that's my other point here. UCA has, look, they have two wins against Arkansas. That's very impressive. Arkansas is an RPI top 15 team. That's really the only thing their resume has on it. Um, they have a win against, uh, is it L- I think it's LSU is their other top 25 win. Cajuns also have a win against LSU. Um, the, the, the wins that they're getting credit for, look, they have a couple of, you know, they actually have two losses to LSU. Correct that. They don't have a win against them. Um, they have a loss to South Dakota State. They have a loss to South Dakota. They have a loss. Like, there's just, I don't understand how you can compare those two teams and say, again, I think you can rank both of them, but the idea that UL isn't when they have 15 top 50 wins, um, two wins in the top 25 versus three, not a significant number there, and also an RPI unbiased ranking system that has the Cajuns in the top 10, and you're just not going to rank them. So my point with all that, I know that was a lot of numbers thrown at you and a lot of things. It that was. matters. It was. It was. Because when the committee goes to make host sites, which by the way, we've said this before, a regional, a RPI top 11 team has never not hosted in NCAA softball regional history. The Cajuns are ninth. But according to those publications, they're not even in the conversation for hosting. Now, those publications aren't the committee, and we'll see what the committee does. So this might all be moot in a couple of weeks, and we'll revisit, we'll revisit it certainly well, because we're not, on, not Not in a couple of weeks. It'll be. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah. So less than a week. Selection Sunday, and we'll discuss that, of course, because we're on uh, six to nine every day, every weekday. Uh, that's that's right, bud. But I just, I just don't understand something like that. And again, like in a usual situation, and if this was, uh, let's say, April, I wouldn't even be mentioning it. But at this point in the season, with the amount of data, fifty-six games of data points, um, and fifteen top fifty wins, it's just unbelievable to me. Like teams that are comfortably in the top 15, top 10 in the rankings, don't have anywhere near the number of top 15 wins that, that UL has. Texas has 10 in the top 50. Um, North uh, Duke has 14, and UL has 15. And those teams are just being treated differently. So I, I just I don't understand the perception of it. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's, just, it's just kind of unfair in a lot of different ways. So that's my rant of the day. Um, someone named Tina Parches chimed in on your rant of the day. Uh, now he's got me fired up and offended. I feel like I'm also hearing his job interview for why he should be on the voting committee, the selection committee. Yeah, look, I've said it um, as far as <laughs> pitching rotations for certain teams. I've said it for NCAA basketball matchups. Like, if they call me, I'll answer, and I'll, I'll tell them this. The game hotline is always open. Yes, if you're anyone on the s- selection committee of the softball there we uh, go. Regional three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. Yeah, no, it's way. just it's just unbelievable to me because, again, I'm not saying the Cajuns should be. I'm not even saying they should be ranked ninth, which is where they are in the RPI, which I think you can make a case but for. But if you look at, I, I think there's a disconnect. To chime in on your points here, once again, you're right. No team that's ever been ranked in the top eleven in RPI has not hosted a regional for softball. 
so this would be unprecedented if they don't host a regional. Because no matter what happens at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament this week down the road in Lampson Park, they're still going to be ranked top 11 in RPI. So it would be unprecedented. I would say that the only scenario in which maybe they drop below 11 is if they lost to Monroe or Georgia State in the first round, which is uh, highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. So let's say they make it to Friday. Okay. They're not going to drop out of the top 11. So it would be unprecedented for them not to be selected as a host site. That said, if you've paid attention to the polls all season long, the Cajuns have been a fringe top 25 team the whole season. So I don't know if it's fatigue, if it's bias against the Sunbelt Conference, or if they're just like, look, UL's always good, but they're not good enough because they haven't won a regional in a while. So is has it has that fatigue set in where they're like, yeah, the Cajuns are great, but you know they're really not a team that should be hosting a regional, and they're just ignoring the data. That could be what's happening here because, once again, the people that put together these polls are humans, and humans have bias, and humans are flawed. Right, and but the funny thing about that is that it's supposed to work in the other way. When you're a team that's not in the power conferences, that doesn't have a name brand attached to it, and even, to be honest, when you are in a power conference and have a name brand attached to it, but you're not usually good, uh, it usually takes more time for teams for committees like that to recognize you but when but you're you a, pat a, yourself a, on the back more when you're a perennial power like know. the cajuns yeah. you're supposed to get that extra respect which is what happened to let's say cincinnati when they would they would have never been considered if that was a one-off year but the since they had the I'm history not, behind I'm not, it I'm, I'm not you're missing my point as someone who served on who's voted in polls before high school and college uca is one of the new kids on the block this happens. This is what I'm saying. This happens. They're ignoring the Cajuns, and they're taking the Cajuns for granted. And instead of looking at the data points like they should, like you did, you easily found all the data points, and you broke it all down. And did so in an eloquent fashion, by the way. Thanks. I'm telling you. People that put together polls, voters in polls, aren't paying attention to the games, and sometimes it gets to a point where they go, Oh yeah, oh oh yeah, that that that's that, that that's a that's a non-power five team. Let's give some love to them, even though their resumes aren't even comparable, as you just pointed out between UCA and UL. Oh, it's true. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll keep voting for that. And a lot of times they'll look at where the teams were the week prior, and a lot of times people just vote the same thing. Oh no, I get that, but my that's what's point happening of, right. as well. But uh, my point about that is in other major sports like that, we've seen the name brand of a team actually usually work in the other direction. Gonzaga's always ranked up near the top at the beginning because people have seen it before. Same thing with a team like Boise State when they had a bunch of runs in college football. They were given, they were put quickly. If they had a couple wins early in the season, you'd see them up 20, 21, 22 in the rankings. Whereas a team like, let's say, Tulane, who hasn't been good historically at all, it took them winning eight, nine straight games before they got the recognition. So I think that's... What's also strange about it, and then again, the other thing, about, and I understand they can't watch every game, but when you break it down and see UCA is not only a fringe top 25 team, they're in the top 20 in a lot of these rankings. They're 19, 18, mm-hmm. which is where UL should easily be, and in my opinion, they should be hosting not as a 15 or a 16, but as a 14 or a 13, but it's unlikely that that's going to happen. Does it matter? Do you think come Sunday? Significantly, yes. Do you think? No. It's never happened before. Once again, 
you're fired up about a poll. The poll doesn't determine what the committee does. Okay, there's no proof of that. So we're speculating in that regard, and it would be unprecedented for a team ranked in the top 11 in RPI not to host a regional. So when it's all said and done on Sunday, in your heart of hearts, vermilion and white heart of hearts, do you believe that the Raging Cajuns will be hosting a regional in softball, yes or no? If I had to, I think they if they get it, they'll get put at 15 or 16, which again is kind of, um, I wouldn't say disrespectful, and I still think it's better than not hosting, but I think it's uh, kind of... So you of still a, think they're going to host? Because I do. Yeah, I think they'll be given a courtesy host site. I agree. I agree. So, but some great points there by Dealer. I told you, not Mr. Cranky Pants, but Focus and Frustrated. Ooh, that could be a new segment. Focus and Frustrated. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, we ran long there. My man was focused and frustrated. Poll question of the day. What is the Astros' biggest concern? We asked you as they dip under 500 yet again. 45% of you say the starting pitching injuries. 24% of you say bullpen inconsistencies. 24% say other. And 7% of you say position player injuries. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave those votes. uh, Leave your comments, rather, on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two in the books. It's been a great show so far. It's about to get better. Jim Gazzolo from the late Charles American Press and the host of the Meanies Coaches Show joins us to kick off hour number three. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the final hour of today's show has arrived. Coming up half an hour from right now, a little after 8.30 will be Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights. He'll talk NBA playoffs. Two teams that were in the play-in tournament are on the brink of advancing to the conference finals as the Lakers hold a 3-1 advantage over the Golden State Warriors. And the Miami Heat in a man possessed named Jimmy Butler has a 3-1 lead over the New York Knicks, who, by the way, had the worst three-point field goal shooting percentage in NBA playoffs history this postseason gross don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day what concerns you the most about the houston astros right now go vote leave your comments and we'll share them throughout the remainder of today's show right now though it's time for us to talk all things mcneese with our guy from the lake charles american press he's also the host of the mcneese coaches show and poke nation the great one jimmy g from lc jim gazzolo jim good morning how are you my friend I'm good, Raymond. It's a great day. <laughs> it's a positive day. It's, it's, hey, I got a question for you to start off this. Oh, I love when you want to start off asking me the questions. Yes, you're you're you 
their weather report today leading into this show uh, said a mild tornado or a weak tornado. A weak tornado to me would be something like a mi- I had a mild stroke. It, does, it doesn't seem like it really fits there. If it's... I'll see what we can do with our news partner about their choice of words, bud. Thank you. <laughs> just, just hey. saying, it's my house. It's probably not that weak. <laughs> just pointing that out. What can I do for you, Raymond? I, I heard something about the white sacks in the background, but I didn't know if you were addressing me because there was uh, music in uh bud uh your white socks the southsiders they're uh 12 and uh 24 bud um they're they're been on the struggle bus uh do you have faith in their abilities to turn things around oh no <laughs> it's may the 9th and jim gazzolo's like oh no 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 the season's no, this, done this, this thank is, you uh, so no, this is uh i don't uh they need to make a major trade they need to shake things up and to wake people up is that getting rid of the, Anderson? The struggle bus has no reels, wheels. Is that getting rid of Anderson and starting over? Um, if that's the most you can get for the Dodgers would like him, I know that. It, it might mean getting rid of Jimenez. Um, it might mean getting rid of a couple of pitchers. Yeah. I don't think you start over. I think you have a core, but I think there's there's work to be done. Work to be done. Well, there's still work to be done in the Southland Conference, my friend. Oh, what well, that's that that is to me. That's why you're a professional. <laughs> that is a segue. Oh, hey, thank you. Thank you. All right, let's start off with the baseball <laughs> team. Uh, yes. They are unable to get the sweep on senior day, but they still take two or three from Lamar, and that's big for them. Even though they're not going to win the regular season championship, they have now put themselves in position, Justin Hill's team has, to maybe getting one of those top four seeds. How big was this past weekend for the Cowboys? I think it was big, but it had potential to be huge. And they blew a game in the ninth inning um, that would have been a sweep that really would have kind of solidified that they're going to get on the top. Top four is great. Top five is what you want because six and seven have a play-in game in baseball. And you cannot be McNeese, have a six or seven, and have to use um, Grant Rogers for the play-in game. Um, you want to get to these six, which is the double elimination part. That, to me, is the ultimate. If they get in the six or seven, I don't see how they can have enough pitching to get through it. But if they can get one of the top five, then I think they're in much better shape. And right now they're fifth. So this weekend, because it's their last conference weekend, uh, is huge in Northwestern State. Yeah, they wrap up the regular season starting tonight with a non-conference game versus Nichols, which is odd. Um, We'll have to have a talk about the Southland Conference scheduling for baseball moving forward. And then it's at (laughs) Northwestern State. Nichols and Incarnate Word appear to be the best teams in the conference, but that margin is not by a ton, right? We're talking Nichols is 12-6 and in Southland Conference play. Incarnate Words right behind them, eleven and seven, and then it's Northwestern State and M Corpus Christi at ten and eight, and then McNeese at eleven and ten. So it, it's not that much of a difference between the top team and the number five team. No. So what? No, it, go ahead. No, no, it's not. In fact, it's really closer than that. Take McNeese, who had the game one against Nichols, but the kid tripped around coming around third in the eleventh inning, and they lost in twelve. 
that one play, tripping around third, flips the entire conference. That's how close this conference is. So the next the next two weekends are huge. I mean, he's only has three more games. They've got to get as many wins as they can to position themselves as best they can and let everybody else slug it out. How do they approach tonight's game? It doesn't count on the conference standings. It doesn't necessarily help them or hurt them all that much. So how is Justin Hill's team going to approach this non-conference tilt with the team that leads the South in conference? Like he said, it's going to be like every other weekday, midweek game that is non-conference. Um, a lot of kids will pitch. A lot of kids will play. Uh, I think it'll be that way for both teams because you can't overuse a pitcher you want to use on the weekend. And you really want to make sure that you get some kids some at bats you may count on. Uh, Braley Hollins will be back for McNeese tonight. He broke his wrist or injured his wrist uh, when he got hit by a pitch. He actually is hitting 375 and leading the team in hitting when he got hurt after 15 games. They want to see how well he does and can he contribute. Um, so I think that's, that's the, the biggest thing of last weekend was Bryson Hudgens pitched. And he pitched three perfect innings. Um, and if he can give them five or six coming off Tommy John surgery in the tournament, that would be a huge boost. Let's he was talk- a Friday night guy two years ago. That's right. Let's talk about this series against Northwestern State up in lovely Natchitoches, historic Natchitoches, uh, home of the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, by the way. NSU and Raymond Raymond stomping grounds, I believe, at one time. Yes, at one time. NSU is tied for third at ten and eight in conference play. What does McNeese need to do, especially with this being its final conference series? Do they need to win the series, or do they need to sweep? In your opinion, Jim? Well, sweep would be great, but they have to win. I think it is imperative that they win in order to guarantee. I think winning will get them, because of the tie breaks they would have, I think winning guarantees them one of the top five spots and probably a four spot. But you really have to look at who plays who the next week to see how it plays out. But I, I, they can't lose it. If they lose it, then they're really counting on other people to make their decision in their seating. I think they control what they control by winning it. A sweep would be fantastic. Um, but I think realistically, two out of three is what they they got to be looking for. And they may get some help, to your point, Jim, because Texas A&M Corpus Christi has to play Nichols this week, and then they have to place Incarnate Word. So they're playing the two best teams in the conference yeah. to wrap up their regular season. They're right above McNeese in the standings. Northwestern State, as we know, will be hosting the our our friends there at McNeese, but then they go on the road at Southeastern, so that'll be a favorable matchup because the Lions have committed themselves to being dreadful. So yeah, yeah so yes. and, the, they, and they they will be out of it probably by then. Correct. So they're they're not going anywhere. And then a team that could possibly try to leapfrog them into the top five, UNO, they're playing at Incarnate Word this weekend and then they have to play Nichols next weekend so it looks like they're the the Cowboys are going to get uh you know some help here in the last couple of weeks you mentioned Grant Rogers phenomenal more than likely going to be in contention for an All-American more than likely going to be the Southland Conference Pitcher of the Year he is great he is absolutely fantastic we know we'll see him pitch against Northwestern State 
Then next week is interesting because McNeese has their final midweek game at Alec Fox Stadium against LSU and then against Miami of Ohio. Is there any possibility that we could see Grant Rogers pitch inside the box against LSU next week instead of pitching against Miami of Ohio in a non-conference series? No. I, I don't think he would bring him back that quick. But you could. I mean, you could see him a couple of innings, um, but I would imagine he will start one of the first two games against Miami of Ohio because now you're looking at when is he going to pitch the following week more than anything else. And I think you want to keep him as close to rotation as possible. Um, but that will be interesting. It, it would be something that uh, I think will be talked about, and I'll certainly ask, but I don't, I don't know if you bring him back on short rest when you're going to have him be your first day. I think you want to keep him as consistent to his routine as possible. Um, but all, it, it's weird because all four of those games don't matter. Correct. So it, the most fun would be for us would be him pitch against LSU and we see what happens, but uh, I doubt if that would happen. Just because you'd go Friday and it, that'd be on three, four days rest, and he's been going with six days rest. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, and he's a host of Poke Nation. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's shift gears to softball. Conference tournament begins this week. They're in the chuck. They are Today, obviously the favorites. Do yep. you like their chances of moving on, winning the conference tournament? And my next question to you is, do they need to win the conference tournament to get into an NCAA regional? Oh, that's a good question. They need to get to the finals for sure. I, I think that's a given. Um, I think the history of the Southland Conference tells me they do, but McNeese has twice been told if they did not win the tournament, they would have gotten in uh, in 17 and 18. So they've done a lot. They've got a couple of quad one wins. Um, they've beaten LSU. They've beaten Washington. They beat North Texas when they were in the top 25. They really don't have too many bad losses. Uh, they only have three losses in conference, two to Southeastern, who finished second on the road. Um, they, I think they've deserved a spot because of last year. Does does the committee care about last year? Do they look at brands? Do they look and say, hey, that was a good – I don't know. Um, but they can't do anything else as far as scheduling anymore than what they've done. So the NCAA told them what they needed to do a few years back. They've gone and done it. They've won a couple of those games. And uh, now we move. Now we see. I, I don't know if they'll be rewarded or not, because the league just kills you. And that's what people don't understand. There's just uh, Southeastern having a good year and is actually in the 50s in RPI. I think helps them more than ever before. But the rest of the league is not wrapped up. Well, that was going to be my question, Jim. As you know, I just did a bit of a uh, rankings rant in the previous segment about you know the way that softball is, and McNeese is kind of a part of that. I didn't bring them up specifically, but. Do you think the fact that some of their bigger wins took place early in the season hurts them? And, you know, I kind of think it's unfair. I think you all get some of the same thing where you play these games, but they were so long ago, but that's the only time you can play them for the most part. Yeah, I think a couple of weeks ago they beat LSU. And that was later in the year. And that was their big thing. Losing three, you know, three of their losses were to Lafayette. 
uh, who's right now, I think, 11th. So that's not bad. I, it really comes down to what they think of the league compared to the team. And the league, for the most part, has tried to step up its scheduling but has not won enough games yet. The fact that they did well in last year's tournament, beat Notre Dame twice, got to the finals, that and it's essentially the same thing, maybe a big play in it, but I, you never know what each committee each year wants. And uh, I, I think they would be they would it would behoove them quite well to win. <laughs> behoove that's that's a nice big college word. Look at Thank you, you flexing you, off your... my ACT test this morning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you got what you got lined up for the McNeese coaches show this week which by the way is going to be on a special day and time it's going to be moved to Thursday this week we have a conflict with some baseball so we'll have the McNeese coaches show on Thursday at its normal time at six o'clock what do you got lined up for us this week bud pain pain um actually we're trying to get some we're trying to we will confirm some people today um, I'm hoping for James Langino. He has said if they win on Thursday, uh, he would be part of the show on Friday, on uh, Thursday night. Um, so that's kind of a tentative thing because um, he'd be going to the finals on Friday. Uh, and then um, we're hoping for possibly a Will Wade uh, signing today that would, um, and if he gets that, he has agreed to come on. But that's those are both tentative right now based on what they do. The Will Wade signing would be a big guy. I can only tell you that. Oh, that's a nice little tease. Jim, appreciate. He hopes to sign him within the next two days. I I appreciate your time, as always, and I hope your White Sox can turn it around, bud. Thank you for your time. I'll turn around. Turn around and get hit by another truck. (laughs) This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. What is the Astros' biggest concern right now? Is it the bullpen that has been inconsistent, a little shaky? Has it been the injuries to the starting pitchers? There's been a plethora of those. Is it position player injuries? I'm getting some guys back, right? Uh, McCormick's back. Expecting Michael Brantley to be coming back soon, possibly this week, and then Altuve by the end of the month, probably after Memorial Day, or maybe even sooner. Or is it other? Right now, 42% of you say the injuries to the starting pitchers. 29% say other. 23% say bullpen, 6% say position players. B-Rad has chimed in. They're the defending world champions. They don't have any real concerns of this season. Ralph chimes in as well. No concerns here as he shares a gift of someone in a hammock playing a uh, ukulele. So 
That brings up an interesting point, though, those comments. Are there no concerns because you won the championship last year and it's what Kevin Foote describes as a hammock season? So it doesn't matter. But doesn't that on... My, my problem with that is, look, when my Braves won the World Series in 2021, I was thrilled. And you, 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 you learn not to be greedy in sports with your fandom. So... The next year, yeah, it didn't sting as much when they lost, but it still irked me that they lost to the Phillies in the playoffs. And I still wanted my team to win. So doesn't a hammock season go against how fans are naturally built? Because don't you want your team to win? Oh, you, I was going to, you're, you're the guy who wanted his team to win. We found the guy that wants his team to win. Right. That's like, like that's, the, that's what I don't understand. Like, it, it, is a hammock season just saying, well, you won the title last year, so just sit back and enjoy it and don't worry about the results? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Interesting. Interesting. But doesn't that go against being a fan? So I'm confused. I don't know. Kevin also has things with mythical creatures like the Piper that impact games. So <laughs> maybe it's something along those lines. No, but I mean, I understand it. Like when you. As a fan, too, like it, it, it's again, it's different for me. Like, I'm not as diehard with the Astros um, and the Pelicans as I am with UL and the Saints. Um, so, I don't know. For me, too, it's always about opportunity and windows. Like I said, I've said this before when UL was in their window with Levi Lewis as a senior, and it felt like the window, it was that last year, but then everybody came back because the COVID year, like, it, it was like this has to be special this season. And it was. They won every game but one um the Correct. saints it was like that for the saints in that in that you know when they were trying to get the second title with drew Brees. i mean it just felt like and again like when the no call happened and that's what i told people and you know uh, again there's a lot of times in my life when being on this show would have been more productive because i would have had great takes <laughs> well thought out takes um but a lot of people's like after the initial shock of how you know wronged they were a lot of people were like, well, they'll be back. And I was like, you just don't understand how difficult it is to get back to that moment. Like that, especially in the NFL, like that just doesn't happen. You it's just don't immensely get back to it. difficult to win a title. Which which is why the Astros getting back to that moment every year for the last six years is unbelievable because it's that hard to do it. So I guess, you know, my question is for that purpose, like Astros won the title in 2017. They came back in 18 go all the way to the ALCS. They win the first game, by the way, in that ALCS, and then lose four straight. Lose four straight games to lose the ALCS and don't go back to the World Series. Did that not sting? Did that not frustrate the fan base? Did that, because it was supposed to be an alleged hammock season, did fans not care that well, they lost in the American I League Championship Series? I think hammock season is specifically something that you either acknowledge or you don't. So, I mean, it's Kevin Foote's approach. And I understand it, and I somewhat agree with it. But, yeah, like, I mean, and then there's the, like, dynasty's a word that comes into play. And the Astros are now at that point. They weren't at the time. Yeah. But they had an opportunity to put something in that situation. Like, like Chiefs fans, I'm sure right now, like, if, if they have a down year and lose in the, you know, wild card game, let's say they get up to the wild card game, okay. there's going to be a ton of Chiefs fans that are saying the sky's falling because that's how fans are. Correct. But there's going to be a lot of Chiefs fans that go, it's okay. We have a generational talent. We won Super Bowl. It's okay. I think I think more of the hammock thing 
for me that appeals to, to, that appeals to me is just be thankful for what you have, right? As as a Braves fan, losing all those World Series in the '90s when we did win one, it felt like oh goodness, we won one. Now I'm not going to lie to you. In 1996, when we blew the World Series lead to the Yankees and helped kick off their dynasty, it pissed me off. I was angry. I was not a happy person. But the older I get, right, that's been 30 years ago, the the older I get, the more I'm just appreciative of, hey, you know what? Yeah, it sucked last year that we lost to the Phillies in the playoffs. It was disappointing. But we had just won the World Series the year before. So there's there's some some valid points there. If you would look down at your phone, you're going to have a long-winded explanation from the man himself about his feelings of... No one loves texting this show more... (laughs) while we're live on the air than Kevin Foote. No one loves doing that more than texting during the show. If he thinks I'm going to read this on the air, it's not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. You spend your own time on your own show. Just make sure you get here, and you shouldn't be texting. You better not be texting and driving, Kevin Foote. I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's not. He better be pulled over on the side of the road stuck in traffic texting us. He loves traffic. Man loves traffic. The man goes to where the traffic's at. That's that's a little un, a little thing that people don't yeah, know. Yeah, he actually he pulls it up on his phone. And he finds where the red lines are. He says, "I want to really go there," up, and then he picks those roads. He goes, "I want to go where the traffic's at, so I can write stories while I'm driving, because I don't write enough of them per day." Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. When we come back, Ali Cassell will join us from the Bird Rights. We'll talk NBA playoffs. That's next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the NBA playoffs. Man, they have been fascinating. These conference semifinals. On one hand, we have two sets of series where the play-in tournament teams are one win away from advancing to the conference finals. (laughs) On the other hand, we have two dogfights of series in the other ones. To break it all down for us, is our good friend, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, Ollie Cassell, joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Ollie, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, the, the sharpest tool in the shed, as my dad used to say. So I'm bringing you on to help educate me, okay? You ready? Okay. Best shot. The Los Angeles Lakers are a flawed team. The Los Angeles Lakers, in many ways, their two best players are old. And they looked like they were a lost mess early in the season. How are they now one win away from knocking off the defending champs and advancing to the Western Conference Finals? Right. I remember that well. <clears throat> they start. They began the season 2-10. and 10, And uh, we everybody wrote them off, right? Not just national media. 
everybody. And the turnaround's been spectacular, and the biggest reason for it is they finally have a legitimate roster. Polinka fixed all the mistakes he made this past offseason, right? Trading all their depth, right, for Russell Westbrook, which didn't work. Nobody said that that, that plan would work, and they really had little else. Fitting pieces that worked, right? Patrick Beverly just doesn't make sense when you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis who need to be surrounded by shooters. So people like Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook, and, and others did not fit. So he finally got them, you know, the right surrounding cast. And I'll tell you what, they took off. And with, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, um, several others. And look, any given night, it seems like there's a certain Laker or two that steps forward. Now, granted, i got to give Austin Reeves some flowers. He's really come out of nowhere to be really a stabilizing stabilizing force for them, right? He, he can initiate the offense. He'll give you something defensively. Great shooter. He's the type of player you've got to put next to LeBron. So with LeBron, they're managing kind of his minutes, as we saw all season, right? Always was listed as questionable. Anthony Davis seemed to be in the same boat. So all you want to do is get to the postseason – Hope that your two big guys would be healthy. And like I said, if they have a supporting cast, they could go on a run in really a Western Conference that's wide open, right? Remember how tightly everything was packed together at the midway point. And I know the Nuggets separated themselves. The Grizzlies a little bit too. But for the most part, there was not one stellar team that you're like, okay, they're the heavy favorites. So the Lakers, they followed that plan. And guess where they ended up? Now they're sitting, like you said, one game away from advancing to the Western Conference Finals because they've got two of the better players, right, that are left. And Anthony Davis can look like the best player most nights. And LeBron, he's one of the greatest to ever play. They also play a style of game that is frustrating Golden State. They're physical, they're bigger, and it kind of goes against the grain of what the modern NBA is. Is that part of the reason why they're up 3-1? Raymond, it's a big part, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Because, look, and I'm sure you've picked up on this and a lot of others, but they're not calling those personal silly ticky-tack fouls they were in the regular season, right? The little bit of uh, contact with the body or maybe glancing blow with an arm. Kind of the way I think you remember well, because we complained about it a few times, Herb Jones, right? Picking up, like I said, these touch fouls. Yes. That's no longer the case. You're now allowed to body up, be physical uh, on anybody driving to the paint, boxing out you name it, you can throw your bodies into other people and the lakers are pretty much bigger than everybody else and especially the warriors right i mean it, it's funny to watch not just draymond green has struggled to stay with anthony davis but he's being guarded by guys like gary payton i noticed last night so you're, you're not going to win too many games when ad's playing the way he is right he's being physical he's taking it to the rim hard and they don't really have an answer for him i know kevon looney's there and he was a great first round story but look Anthony Davis, when he wants to be, when he puts his mind to it, can be a top five player. And so you combine that with a physicality that, as, as you mentioned, the Lakers are playing with probably better than maybe outside of what, the Miami Heat, right? Yeah, that's an edge for them. We've seen Golden State come back before down 3-1, but Iggy and Sean Livingston aren't on this roster. And that has been more than a few years ago as well. The series isn't over. But do you believe that the Lakers will find a way to close it out and eliminate the defending champs? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Steph Curry, amazing, right? Another triple-double last night. And I love what he's done in this series to where he's handled the ball more to try and find his teammates' open shots. And he's a very 
capable point guard. Um, he's shown it, you know, in this series with the passes, but he's got nobody helping him on a regular basis, Raymond. Clay Thompson has vanished for the last two games. Jordan Poole's been abysmal for pretty much half of the regular season, pretty much all of this postseason. When you're counting, and, and these guys are taking up a lot of money on their salary books, when you're not getting kind of good production from them, you're, you're in massive trouble because you're not going to get offense from Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, Gary Payton, right? I mean, there's certain guys that have to help, help Steph, and they're just not helping. So with the way the Lakers are playing, right, they've got, it seems like, five, six guys that play well every single night if AD's mind's right. But the Warriors know, and they look like a team that there's, they're just not capable of winning three in a row, I think, against the Lakers. Not this squad. They, they've got to be hot. They've got to catch fire, and I just don't see it coming. Let's stay in the Western Conference because the other series is a dogfight. And even without Chris Paul, Phoenix has found a way to win, uh, to even up this series while a two-time MVP has put up monster historic numbers as well. Despite his efforts, Denver has still lost both of those games, and Phoenix has won those games without Chris Paul. Obviously, Devin Booker has been the best player in this series, you could argue. What do you make of what we've seen so far through four games between Suns and Nuggets? It's been a great battle. It's what we thought it would be, right? The two stars in Phoenix that would have to do pretty much all the heavy lifting against Jokic and a good supporting cast. And I guess maybe I should include Jamal Murray, right? Because he's been a big part of their success. But I'll tell you what, I was shocked to see that Devin Booker has been playing at this level. I mean, last two games, he's made about 80% of his shots. That's unheard of for a jump shooter, right? I mean, what he's doing right now, he looks like one of the best players in the league, a legitimate top five guy. So can he keep it going, number one? Number two, can Kevin Durant stay on the floor, right, because he's always got his injury concerns. But can he stay on the court and give you 35-plus a night, too? So you've got to get like 70 to 80 points from both of them. We've seen the recipe for their wins. And they have one guy off the bench. You know, it was Sham at last game. Um, they've had production from, you know, Okogi, Landale, Corey Craig in the first round. So if they can keep getting that, yeah, I think this this series is likely to go seven, even though, yeah, just mentioned Nikola Jokic, a real MVP. He's putting up historic numbers, and Jamal Murray is usually good every night, but it's something about Phoenix and the way their stars play like Booker and Durant that I feel like they've got a, a edge about them to where I don't know if I necessarily see it out of the nuggets. I mean, they're a great team, but they've never done this before um, advancing to the finals, you know, playing those really important games. So I don't know. Th this one's a toss up for me, Raymond. I think Yokes is the best player in the series still, but boy, Booker and Durant are definitely the second and the third. So can they keep up their momentum? I don't know. They're going to have to find a way to win in Denver, and I'm not sure if that's possible. We're talking with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here in RP3 and Company as we talk NBA playoffs. Let's switch over to the East. The Miami Heat lost their first game in the playing tournament to the Hawks and then have just found a way to take down the number one seed, and now they're one win away from taking down the New York Knicks, who are historically – on pace for the worst three-point shooting team ever in a single postseason. What is Miami doing despite having two of its stars out with injuries? They still are finding a way, and they're one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, the New York Knicks have just been abysmal, and they haven't even looked like the Knicks to where they've looked like the more determined team. 
the last three months or so of the regular season, it felt like they might have been the hardest playing team on, on every single night. Right? They exuded what Julius Randle and uh, Jalen Brunson bring to the court. And that Tom Thibodeau style of, you know, we're just going to play tougher than you. We may not shoot better than you or do a lot of other things well, but I know we're going to be more competitive. And that hasn't been the case. And really, Miami are the champs of that in the East. Once again, I've counted them out. I, I didn't think that they would get out of even the playing tournament. I thought they had no chance against the Bucks. And going even in this series against the Knicks, I thought that the Knicks would prevail. But, yeah, here they are up 3-1. to one, And it hasn't even really taken – superhero type of efforts from Jimmy Butler, which was kind of necessary against the Bucks. Knicks, you just have to feel like they're done. They, they just seem to be getting worse and worse each game when I've watched them. I mean, Josh Hart out there, he doesn't, he's not providing that same impact. He's now shooting some air balls. Mitchell Robinson, who was spectacular in that Bucks series, really hasn't made his imprint. And I feel like just the heat. You know, in that last game, there must have been multiple possessions to where they kept their – possession alive because they're the ones chasing down the rebounds when the Knicks are supposed to be bigger and more physical. So if, if the Knicks aren't doing that, you just give them almost no chance. So what people like to call the zombie heat, right? Because they somehow keep on winning regardless of who, you know, Eric Spolster has got out there. And right now there's what seven undrafted players and Jimmy Butler. Hey, they look like the better team. You've got to love their chances to move on to face what either the 76ers or the uh, Celtics. Yeah, I always say coaching matters, and it's it, it. We see it year after year with Miami because that roster is not great, and yet they find a way. We'll wrap it up with this. I felt heading into this Eastern Conference semifinals that Boston was the better team. I feel like they have the most experience, but yet just like they did in the first round against Atlanta, they're playing with their food again, and they have allowed Philly and James Harden of all people to go off and win two games in this series. As it stands this morning, how do you feel about this series, and do you still believe Boston is the better team and that they're going to win in advance of the Eastern Conference Finals? You still have to like Boston, and you just touched on one. I feel like the Boston Celtics have the best remaining, most talented roster. Um, top, what, one through 15 I don't think anybody can match them and they're, and they're, you know, solid to incredible depth because any given night you can get 20 plus points from a Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Al Horford can give you five, six threes, right? And we're not even counting what Smart gives you defensively. And of course, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown offensively. Celtics, though, they do play with their food. And it's scary to me that they can't put together two or three consistent efforts where they'll have a good game or a great game. And then follow it up with kind of a dud. And that's that used to be almost a pattern we used to see here in New Orleans at times. And so it's frustrating when you're labeled a championship contender. So are you really a championship contender when you're doing that? Now, I don't want to take anything away from the 76ers. James Harden in two of these games, and they're both of their wins, 40-plus points, right? Looked like the, the Houston James Harden of five, six years ago to where he looks like the best player in the court. So when he's making seven, eight threes a game, getting to the rim and able to give, you know, Joel Embiid that scoring burst that he needs sorely because he's not hundred percent Raymond. I, I don't care what people say. He's not moving around like he was say the middle of the season when the Pelicans saw them in January, he needs to have James Harden play like that. Now, can you depend on James to do that the rest of the series? I don't think he can just look at his games two and three completely vanished. So I think Boston's still in the driver's seat, but if they 
have a couple more of these lackadaisical efforts, you could see, right, Philly possibly sneaking by him. And they and if they move on and they play Miami, the Heat are not the team to do that with as well. So that's the bigger thing if you're Boston. Well like said. You're the more talented yeah. team, but if you try to do that stuff against the Heat, they have proven that they will make you pay for it over and over again. Ollie, appreciate your time as always, brother. Can't wait to chop it up with you next Tuesday to talk more about the NBA playoffs. Enjoy your week, my friend. Absolutely, Raymond. You do the same. And just think about this. We could legitimately see the bubble rematch, right? Lakers versus Heat. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Thank you. <laughs> this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast, Jim Gazzola of the Lake Charles American Press, and Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Poll question of the day, final results. What is the Astros' biggest concern? 41% of you say starting pitching injuries. 29% say other. 21% say bullpen. 9% say position player injuries. Many of you say they don't have any concerns because it's a hammock season. They're the defending champs. Steve says trying to find a comfortable spot in the hammock. That's their biggest concern. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all of you who left your comments as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning commute to work or school. That's going to do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.